Hey everyone, welcome to the Black Health Podcast. This is episode 11. I'm Paula and I'm here joined with um, only two others today. I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourselves. Hey y'all, I'm Khadija, co-founder of Black Health. <laughs> hey y'all, it's Matthew. All right, so unfortunately we're missing Marcilla, um, but uh you know, I'm sure she'll be on the next episode if you just can't get enough. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so our icebreaker for today is if you were president, what executive orders would you make? Um, I would just like to say I made up this question myself because I was dissatisfied with all the um, icebreaker questions I found online. So. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's start with Matthew. Reparations, easy. Yeah. <laughs> First and yeah, foremost. For sure. Um, but within that, I think my my reparations would be, you know, every black person gets 250k immediately in their bank account. Um, I was reading some things on like how you calculate reparations for people, and it's estimated that the burden of the like wealth inequality is about 250k for every person. Um, oh, wow. oh my god. Yeah, which is like trillions of dollars. Um, for all the, and that's really just the descendants of, of slaves, uh, people who were enslaved. Um, a part of my reparations package, it would also include uh, free health care, um, universal health care for all, all folks. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that would be my reparations. I think also I would want to legalize marijuana. Yes. Um, you know, that is something that Joseph Biden said he would do. Joe said a lot. <laughs> he said he was going to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> Joe, my man Joe said a lot. Um, and he may have forgotten. He's kind of old. <laughs> nah, he he really hasn't done a lot of the stuff he had on his agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Kamala? She She should know. Yeah, but she's not keeping notes. Mm-hmm. I didn't see her. Where's she been at? I know she's been real quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she's working hard, but I don't. I don't know what's happening. Russia. So okay, so with your reparations, like, who gets reparations though? Like, you know, how do you determine that? Yeah, President so- McCurdy. So, <laughs> I mean, I think we could we can certainly do like some genealogy study to determine who <laughs> was like who are actually descendants of slaves, um, and that's probably the way I would go about it. But I also feel like all Black people in this country experience some form of racism, mm-hmm. and that has an impact on their pockets ultimately. Um, and so, I would I would love to figure out a way um, to identify. I, I hate to do like a percentage or like the one drop rule. <laughs> <laughs> like how many of your grandparents are black? No, because then white people are going to exactly. be coming out the woodwork. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't need, I don't need, I don't, tricky. I don't need somebody's like, you know, form great, great grandpappy who like raped all of his, all of his slaves to then be able to gain reparations. Right. So. We'd have to figure it out. It'd be a, uh, it'd be a process. Mm-hmm. We'd have a vetting mm-hmm. for sure, a cultural vetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to be vouched for. Right. Three niggas got a vouch for you. 
some references. Yes, we definitely do it. Uh, a deep, thorough background check. <laughs> it's gonna take like twenty years for everybody to get their reparations. <laughs> like this is the slowest process. <laughs> um. Yeah. So legalize it as well. Um. That would be great. And then you know some form of prison abolition. Um. We got to get get the homies out of jail. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what I would try to do on day one, um, and then <laughs> and then they would they would probably get me right up out of there. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. What about you, Khadija? Um, definitely echo all of yours. I um, I know folks have floated around like at minimum like free mental health care for Black people, and I'm definitely for that. I will say. I think about the logistics of that, too, because there are a lot of Black people and there aren't that many Black mental health providers. Sure. Really mm-hmm. mental health providers in general, but specifically Black. So that'd be... You You'd know. have to... You could also, like, pay to train yeah, providers. Train, yeah, train. Or, like, yeah. work here, mental health support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a comprehensive wraparound Black mental health agenda. Um, I'm definitely on the cancel student loan debt wagon. Need that. That's another thing that Joseph Biden said he would do. Mm-hmm. Hasn't happened. <laughs> Jojo. He's been saying like ten thousand dollars, maybe. That's that's not that's, enough. That's, that's, that's not nothing. Do. I don't even care. You can keep that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not enough. Yeah. I need a Honda. No, right. Exactly. <laughs> or at least like a more like effective or broader like um. Uh, what's it called? Loan forgiveness program. Although I have seen, like, there are a few people that have gotten their loans forgiven that I've seen, but yeah, it's, like it's not, two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not a lot. I'm pretty close, actually. Oh, wow, really? I'm like three years away. Oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and then something else would be some sort of ban on gas price inflation. <laughs> I saw in the news yesterday that the average price of gas in California is six dollars a gallon, that's which wild. is like that's a lot. That's so mm-hmm. much. That's a lot of money. But then I've also like been hearing stuff around how like the barrel of uh like a barrel gas is less than it's been in a while. So like the math oh, isn't wow. mathing to me. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense. So. In your presidency, we're still gas dependent. You know, I was a caveat, maybe initially, but then, you know, maybe I'd have like a EO around like some sort of um, like stipend or like tax, like refund or something for electric vehicles, something Mm. to really vamp up like um, non-luxury electric vehicles because we Mm. don't need... um, Elon Musk. <laughs> what's a what's a non-luxury? Like a Nissan Leaf? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not exactly. a Tesla. <laughs> nah, I need that. I need that Tesla. Um, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh no, we we it would be a green. I'm definitely it would be some yeah, I would review the Green New Deal mm-hmm. and see what can be um Pass through EO. Um, ooh, maybe like the Philip. Like, there's just stuff that 
um, just a lot of inefficiencies in government that I would I would take away. And then mm-hmm. just a more comprehensive coronavirus response, which we'll get into later. How about you, Paula? <laughs> <laughs> I like that, giving people a little little crumb. <laughs> um yeah, same. I echo what you said about canceling student loan debt. Um, I would wipe it all away, like just just it's no more. Um, because I was reading about how that would disproportionately benefit black women since we are mm-hmm. as a as a group so highly educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I know that I have like hella student loan debt, so I would <laughs> get rid of that. <laughs> and I'm, I can imagine, I can imagine there's a lot of other black women like in mm-hmm. a similar position as me. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of like part of my reparations package. Um I would also implement a national like bullet train network. I think uh, public transportation in the United States is horrible and that that is also an injustice being committed against, uh, you know, lots of people um, in our environment. So, yeah, like let's let's get all types of trains going built uh, right away. As soon as I get into office, I want um, bullet trains from New York to L.A., all that good stuff from Detroit to Miami. <laughs> that would be so, that would be so cool. I know. I feel like they day. like this has been something that's been floated for like decades mm-hmm. now, and they just haven't made it happen. Yeah, it will require a whole lot of money, but I think it would be worth it. I think because the auto industry is lobbying the government, telling yeah. them not to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would also um, increase taxes on the rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and enforce it. So I would have like the IRS like going after niggas, uh, and no more offshore Swiss accounts or whatever the hell they're doing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not rich. So. <laughs> but we but we stopping all of that. <laughs> it's, it's done. It's done. <laughs> and. <laughs> like I bet you like a bunch of rich people would like flee the country when I became president. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the the day a black woman becomes president, you know, I think a lot of rich white people are leaving no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And then I thought about that so I was thinking like okay, we're going to tax the rich and so then we're going to have like, you know, way more money to work with as a nation. But I was like, you know, the way that this nation's budget is set up, they give like almost all of the money to the military so then my next executive order would be like no more military pack it up ending u.s imperialism effective immediately <laughs> so no more military spending uh unless it's like just for like you know, vets and stuff like that. We could still keep like the VA hospitals yeah. and we can provide some benefits for the guys coming home, uh, guys and, and everyone else <laughs> coming home. <laughs> um, but you, ain't, you ain't buying no new guns. No new guns. Uh, we're actually going to uh, put them in a fire because uh, <laughs> y'all going to stop giving them to police departments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's going to be real radical around here. Would defund the police be on your agenda? Yeah, that's that a bullet point yeah. under yeah. ended military spending. It's all related. <laughs> that's in the same that's in the same executive order. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't think um any of us will ever be presidents uh yeah. at this rate. I like I like but... the world we've envisioned though. We got a dream. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. 
maybe we could build our own country. <laughs> Don't get me started um, on my uh on my idea. Yeah, I know. All right, I'm You're gonna right. stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then if Marcella was here, she would be talking about that, that town she told us to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, well, y'all can but, come join yeah. my compound in about 10 years. I'll send y'all the details. <laughs> okay, I might be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, let's get into our our topics for today. So we want to check in about COVID and things. So I'll go ahead and pass it off to Khadija for that. Yeah. So um, I don't think we've talked extensively about COVID in a minute on the podcast. And so we wanted to just have some dialogue and share some thoughts around the current state of the um, pandemic response in the United States. And Paula, as our resident South Africa person, can share, you know, thoughts about kind of both U.S. and maybe comparatively South Africa. Um, But just a little context to our listeners and just to ourselves about where the U.S. is currently with the response. So the CDC recently modified their COVID-19 recommendations to a county-level metric of COVID burden with some accompanying prevention recommendations. So these prevention recommendations vary based on whether the county that you live in falls in a green zone, so that's low COVID burden, yellow, so moderate COVID burden, and red, which is high COVID burden. And this new kind of red, yellow, green zone metric is based on COVID-19 hospitalizations which is real interesting um, for any folks familiar with EPI. Um, hospitalizations can be considered a lag measure versus like a leading measure for a particular health outcome, which basically means that by the time hospitals are feeling the strain from COVID, um, the, you know, COVID's been running, running herself yeah, rampant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, through a community for weeks at that point. Like that's one of the, outside of like COVID deaths, that's like one of the last metrics you can measure. So it's real, it's real interesting CDC chose that. Um, Also interesting is based off of their measure, um, almost all the country is currently in green zone and or the low COVID burden zone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like literally almost all of the country. Um, For now. Yeah, for for now. Um, So if you're in a green zone, that essentially means that um, CDC no longer has a recommendation for indoor masking. um, And they only have um, indoor masking, you know, soft recommendations if you live in a red or high COVID burden zone. Um, Or if, like, you're actively, like, symptomatic or test positive for COVID. Even though I've been seeing a lot of people out and about coughing and sneezing and real symptomatic (laughs) just out in these streets um, sans sans mask. Um, So the CDC's new guidance also um, really impacts people that are immunocompromised um, and people that have a high risk of serious illness um, from COVID um, because their guidance at this point literally advises those groups 
to protect themselves um, via personal prevention strategies like avoiding non-essential indoor activities if you are in a high-burden COVID area. Um, and talking to Not your health... personal prevention <laughs> strategies. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's up to you if you're immunocompromised to do what you got to do. Um, they also... So they recommend for immunocompromised people to talk to their healthcare provider about whether they should wear a mask. Um, <laughs> so incur a bill... <laughs> to figure out <laughs> if you need to wear a mask. Yeah. Um, and yeah, overall, like this guidance is super soft. Like the language is very soft. So I literally counted like a dozen times. It say like consider X, Y, Z measure, like consider doing this, consider doing that. Um, and so even for, like for a recommendation, that's like very soft language. Um, and just for some context for folks like, the CDC as a federal agency isn't allowed to like enact any policy, but their role as an agency is to put out these health related recommendations. And even though they are only recommendations like um, uh, institutions across the U.S. really rely on those recommendations and guidelines. So, you know, it's just very soft and softened guidelines from already softened <laughs> guidelines. Um, and also just some other updates. Um, so in the vaccine world, um, despite there being some successful trials, um, trial data coming out for the COVID vaccine for kids under five. Um, so I think like most recently Moderna, they had some of their trial results come out um, that looked pretty promising around um, vaccinating kids under five um, for COVID. Um, we're still not at the authorization stage from the FDA. So um, if you're under under five, um, the federal government said good luck. You think we have um, any? You think we have any listeners under five? <laughs> maybe. Uh, listen, we have a very broad base. So maybe. <laughs> Um, honestly, lots of listeners who probably have young kids that it affects. Mm-hmm. Um, also in vaccine land, um, despite Pfizer and Moderna asking the FDA to allow U.S. Delts to get a second COVID booster shot, the Biden administration said they don't they don't got the money. They don't got the money to cover <laughs> an extra dose. Joe so said, they haven't no been ways. advertising. Joe said we broke. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I did not know about yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, that's why they haven't been, you know. Even though they told us, like, we should, for the boosters, like, every, like, six-ish months. I know I'm coming mm-hmm. up on six months on my boost. Ain't, ain't no money. Ain't no money. Speaking of not having any money, um, HRSA COVID-19 Federal Insurance Program, which provided federal funding for free COVID testing, vaccination, and treatment, un- and underinsured individuals in the United States just ended today, um, re- recording March 23rd, um, which means the federal government is no longer accepting claims for testing or treatment um, for like uninsured individuals and will stop accepting claims for vaccinations on April 5th. So oh, wow. um, yeah, if you're uninsured, if you are under five, if you 
immunocompromised. Um, the government, you know. Said good luck. Yeah, you're kind of out there. Yeah. So, yeah. So with those updates, I want to hear y'all's thoughts about, like, the current state of the U.S. COVID response. Um, like, what do you think is going wrong, in your opinion? Is there anything going right? Like, what would you change? Like, if you were in a leadership position. Um, so, again, we'll, we'll, we can pretend like we, we president. Like, what, what would you change? Um, particularly with this BA2 Omicron variant um, becoming, slowly becoming that, or not slowly, but it's um, going to become like a dominant strain in the U.S. as it has in other countries. Yeah, I think uh, this is actually a really sad situation. Um, And like sometimes because I'm in South Africa, I can kind of like unplug from things going on in the U.S. and just be like, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) particularly like with like the like those January 6th, like riots on the Capitol. Mm -hmm. I was watching the TV like "Mm, (laughs) over there. I forgot you were in South Africa. Not you treating us like like your distant cousin. (laughs) Yeah. I have let y'all go, <laughs> but not <laughs> like, no, but this is actually really worrying me because I really think about my parents and my other like, um, like older family members mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and most people in my life, they are vaxxed and boosted, but I don't know. It's like these variants really concern me because it's like, they, we don't know what the variants are going to do, like, and how they will, um, respond to the vaccine because people have been getting infected with COVID at, you know, they can be vaccinated and still be um, infected and then reinfections as well. And I just don't know, like with the like waning um, efficacy of the vaccines mm-hmm. over time, um, now they're not paying for more vaccines. It sounds, mm-hmm. you know, like not a, another booster. And it's just like with older folks, um, you know, just always being at high risk, like this just really, really concerns me. These variants are, you know, going to keep coming with the way that we're handling it like we're probably the u.s is probably like um the cause of a lot of these (laughs) variants because it's just like unmitigated covid spread is happening within the the nation Mm -hmm. so i don't know i'm just i'm very concerned uh i would pretty much change everything (laughs) about this i would (laughs) like i would extend uh like you know federal payments for all of this, like testing, treatments, uh, vaccination, that should just be going on pretty much. I mean, at least like, I would say like five Mm -hmm. years, you know, because it really takes a long time. Like we're fighting so much uh, misinformation around COVID that it's going to take a while to get everyone up to speed on board, especially like with vaccinations and things like that. Like there's, there's really, I feel like no, there hasn't been any concerted effort to really work with marginalized communities mm-hmm. um, and just people who are vaccine hesitant uh, in general. Like, I just feel like we really aren't doing enough to really work with people. We aren't putting our best minds to the table as far as like public health experts, health behavior change mm-hmm. experts, as far as really getting people to um, increase uptake of the vaccine. And so to just like, oh, never mind, we're not gonna even pay for it anymore. Like, nah, like that's just not, it's like, okay, so everyone who's not vaccinated right now, which are a lot of Mm -hmm. people, they're just not going to get vaccinated. Like, that's just it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. What what are your thoughts, Matthew? He's shaking his head. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think similar to Paulo, I would change everything. You know, I think the the biggest issue here is that we've used vaccines as like a cure all, mm-hmm. and we've like promoted vac- Yeah, mm-hmm. we've promoted vaccines as a way to quote unquote end the end the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we should have been doing, what we should have been you know, promoting early on is all of our public health measures. Like, we should still be talking about masking. We should be talking about social exactly. distancing. Um, and those are really the tools that would help prevent the spread, <clears throat> especially if folks aren't going to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? And so I think for me, it, it you know, we needed a, a stronger public health approach from the beginning. Um, you know, when the pandemic was, you know, actually at its highest, I would have, you know, extended payments to keep people at home, right? Like just pay people to to be home, to social distance. Um, but you know, we're so individually focused here in this country that we're we're just worried about uh, getting back to to regular life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen is that, you know, the people that can get back to regular life um, often are you know the folks who were doing well before the pandemic mm-hmm. um, but there's tons of people who can't get back who've lost their jobs jobs aren't coming back um, or you know also I mean jobs are jobs are back and there's this narrative that people don't want to work um, but we should also be uh, raising wages but that's a, another podcast episode <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah I, I think it's really it's really shown how little we care about people mm-hmm. and how much we care about money in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, you know, financially motivated. And I think, you know, right now the administration is really messaging that the pandemic is over. Yeah. Um, so that right. they can, uh, one, claim a win. Um, I think that's important yeah. for the for the Democratic Party. Midterms they, are coming yeah, up. Yeah, midterms are coming up. They need, to, they need those votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, to, you know, to to get past it. I think they're just tired of this being the national discourse and national narrative. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be tough. I'm really interested to see, um, you know, most, some people think that a, another wave, another surge is coming um, and all the data points to that. So we shall see. Yeah. And I definitely um, want to echo your point about just the over-focus on individual responsibility. So one of the strategies that public health professionals, epidemiologists have really been advocating for is ramping up our testing of wastewater. And so you can actually detect COVID really early in wastewater. And using like wastewater testing can be considered a leading indicator of COVID. So you can see if COVID is about to um, or is like spreading in a community even before testing um, data Mm -hmm. and even definitely like way before hospitalizations. So that's definitely like a strategy. Like if I were in charge, I would ramp up um, because I don't think that would that's like a very low lift tactic Mm -hmm. to use. Right, right. So like you're saying, so like in contrast to the hospitalizations metric, Mm -hmm. a wastewater metric would be like, yeah, way um, more like on the preventative side or just early detection kind of, yeah, for communities. Yeah. And Mm, um, that's interesting. mm -hmm. Um, Something else I would improve is just our data collection, data reporting, all of that stuff. Like, from the CDC down to just like local health departments and even just like individual like organizations and institutions, 
like testing has been or not testing sorry um data collection has been really spotty <laughs> and problematic and wow, there's just been yeah. a um a lack of collecting data again particularly for these like leading indicators so we don't even have a full sense of what's going on related to covid currently in this country because of just inadequate data collection um and so for example like with covid testing data because we um more people are now getting tested at home there's not really a place that you can report <laughs> if you have a positive covid test result from like the at home test just like a uniform like place for people to report that so that's a whole bucket of data mm-hmm. we're missing on covid testing um and like that's definitely like an issue if there's a bunch of positive cases out there and we don't even know and yeah data awful um vaccine equity awful <laughs> um like yeah. Globally, um, we're still seeing predominantly black, brown countries, like lower middle income countries, having really, really low COVID vaccine rates, even for like that first vaccination. And like new COVID mutations are going to continue to pop up and spread if we um, don't have some like equitable global vaccine strategy. Um, I also think more investment in indoor ventilation because we know COVID's airborne, even though we're pretending like it's not still (laughs) (laughs) important. Um, And like, didn't we just pass like that big ass um, infrastructure bill? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like there could be money in there for some indoor ventilation, particularly for like older buildings and just spaces. Yeah, schools, like, and this would definitely be like a health equity like um, uh, intervention because we know that indoor air quality in general is poor and um, uh, more likely to be poor for racial ethnic minoritized groups. So that's an easy mm-hmm. fix. And then lastly, for me, I think the U.S. Um, really stopping being such an ableist society um, would be really important. Um, Just the way that like folks that are immunocompromised are disabled are just expected to just be for themselves really is um, like just a failure of the U.S. as a whole. Yeah, I've really appreciated the perspectives and voices of um, people with disabilities mm-hmm. around COVID. Um, it's just really helped me like to learn a lot. But yeah, I agree. Like, it's just we're not as a as a country, we're not doing anything or much to help them. And then the things that do help them are really just things that like, you know, kind of also help uh other people, exactly. you know, like so work from home. Like I was reading some tweets about how like uh, people with disabilities have been advocating for, you know, increased work from home, more flexibility around that, like before mm-hmm. COVID. And now with COVID, now we're all doing it and it's, you know, a thing now. Uh, and so we're seeing like with people returning back to the office, how like that's really inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And now we're like complaining about sitting in traffic and having to get up in the morning earlier than normal and stuff like that. And so uh, people with disabilities have been like, we've been saying that, like we could have been doing this. (laughs) 
and just a lot of other things like that. And I don't know. It's just it's I like the U.S. is so bad <laughs> when it comes to caring about health. Yeah. And I really think it's on purpose, it though. Is. Like, like I think if you have a population of people who are unhealthy, they're easier to control. Mm-hmm. And I really just think this is all like a like 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 agenda basically you know to not invest in the health of um of u.s citizens is to keep uh the bezos emporium Mm -hmm. going you know yeah i think you know we really treat healthcare, individual individual health personal health as an individual's responsibility Mm -hmm. right and so if you're not healthy it's your fault if you're if you can't you know eat healthy food if your health behaviors aren't uh, correct, and it's your fault. Rather than, you know, as you know, you know, folks who study public health think, you know, it's our communities, our environments, it's the structures and policies around us that really influence our ability to be healthy. Uh, but we're such an individual, you know, meritocracy, meritocracy-based society um, that, you know, it, it's it's a stuff, it's a it's a hard thing to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're absolutely right, Paul. It's all about keeping status quo. Um, you know, if we really cared about people, if we really wanted everyone to have the opportunity to be healthy, then, you know, our values and our policies would, would be structured towards that. And I think like the U.S. really sets the tone for a lot of other places in the Mm -hmm. world. So like in South Africa, there were like some pretty, uh, extreme measures, I would say, you know, relative to what happened in the States. But like, you know, there was curfew. Uh, They weren't selling cigarettes and alcohol for a while. And then um, at a point, you could only get it like Monday through Thursday until 6 p.m. You couldn't have large gatherings. Like there were all types of restrictions and they were like nationwide. There was a point where you couldn't travel between provinces. So the provinces are like states. So you had to stay in your province and you could not be traveling between provinces um, unless you had like a particular, you know, work related or health related reason to do so. Um, And so, yeah, like they went into some pretty extreme lockdown measures to prevent the spread of COVID. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily popular with people here. Um, It was inconvenient, Um, but like they helped. They really, those measures really helped to curb the spread of COVID um, and to decrease hospitalizations. And now I see in South Africa, it's kind of like they are also like doing away with all of that. Like there's no more curfew and just like all the measures, like they've gone now down to level one, which is like the um, the least restrictive mm-hmm. of the of the COVID uh, stages that the country had set up. And so, and and the president was supposed to speak or is supposed to be speaking sometime soon, I think, about this new um, BA2 variant and, and what the uh, measures might be related to that. But it just, I could tell, like, the temperature of people, it's like, no, he better not, like, curfew cannot come back, you know, all this other stuff. Like, we, like people are not going to deal with it. I don't even think he really wants to uh, institute those things again, Mm. just because of how unpopular it really would Mm -hmm. be. And I think people are following, these countries are kind of following the lead of the United States. So if the U.S. says COVID is done, then that's pretty much how a lot of other countries are going to operate as well, especially countries that depend on the U.S. for business Mm. and things like that. Mm. 
So, I mean, we're really setting the tone for the rest of the world and it's, and it's not good. And like you had mentioned earlier, Khadija about uh, vaccine equity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like no one's really talking about get vaccinated anymore. It's like now that's over. Yeah. That's done. You're supposed to have gotten vaccinated if you didn't, you know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I think just the COVID response, there'll be so much stuff to kind of study and evaluate and look back on um, just like all the failures. Um, but I think it's just a, a literal case study in political mm-hmm. determinants of health and how much politics, politics and economy business really dictate um, health related decisions. But oh, that's a lot. Um, maybe on a more positive note, is this more positive? I think <laughs> it's more positive. I We're think trying so. to <laughs> effectuate change in this space. So I'll pass it to Matthew um, to talk about some of the work we've been doing around colorectal cancer prevention. Yeah. So, you know, we're entering year two, I guess we're in it. We're in year two of our good down there campaign uh, with Cottonelle. Uh, It was really about um, increasing the screening rates um, around colorectal cancer for black people. Um, You know, black people are uh, more likely to have, you know, worse health outcomes related to colorectal cancer. So that's a higher incidence, uh, so higher rates, but also, you know, more likely to to die from colorectal cancer. And, and it's for a variety of different reasons. But ultimately, you know, racism has an impact on our ability to have resources uh, to protect our health. And then once we, um, you know, do have a screening, uh, you know, we don't have the resources oftentimes to get a colonoscopy or to get into care. And so, you know, what we've done with Cottonelle is we've uh, created a national screening program that allows us to distribute this year, 10,000 screening kits uh, to Black folks around the country. And uh, we also can pay for colonoscopies for folks who do have a positive on that screening test. But we really pay for colonoscopies for any Black person who wants one. Um, and so it's been really cool, really awesome, really excited about all of the engagements that we'll have this year. Um, you know, hoping to do a bit more in-person events, to show up at some festivals, to show up at some, uh, you know, community events across the, across the country. Um, but also, you know, really just to continue to have these conversations about how race and racism impact health outcomes, specifically for colorectal cancer. But, you know, we're interested in, you know, in, in multiple, you know, all disease states mm-hmm. that impact black people. Um, and of course, you know, we do this work uh, with our partners throughout the country. Um, and so it's been it's been really fun, really excited about this year. Yeah. And what cities are we in, are our partners in? Yeah, so our partners are spread out. Um, we're in uh, Detroit working with Neighborhood Service Organization. Um, in Houston, we're partnered with Change Happens, uh, which is a, a great group there. Um, Washington, D.C., we're partnered with So Others Might Eat. Um, in Los Angeles, California, we're partnered with Trap Medicine. Um, so a really great organization out there as well. Uh, here in Atlanta, we've been working with Wellstar health systems. And then in Philadelphia, we work with Babashi Transition to Hope. Uh, so all really great orgs who, you know, all have really positive impacts in their community and they've been great um, ambassadors to the program, but they've also just, you know, really dope orgs doing their own thing. Um, and this year we're really mm-hmm. uh, looking to expand. So we'll be adding organizations from New York and Chicago. Hey. Um, so really excited about that to, you know, have an impact in those communities. 
um, and continue to build. You know, I want to be um, in, in a lot more major cities and a lot more rural communities, um, maybe in year three, year four. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's, um, we're so excited about this campaign and something that us at Black Health have really been focused on um, is all these other health conditions that haven't gone away with COVID. And so, um, you know, as important as it is to um, address COVID related inequities and um, just prevention related to COVID, it's also important to um, put some energy and really addressing some of these other um, infectious and chronic disease health um, related conditions. And something that we've seen with um, chronic diseases like colorectal cancer and other forms of cancer, and I'm sure like with infectious diseases like SCIs and stuff as well, is just a drop off in in screening rates um, Mm -hmm. and a drop off in um, getting into treatment during um, the pandemic. And that is something that is um, like quickly going to catch up um, with folks. And we're already seeing in the data how um, there's just been just a reduction in those like screenings and um, care across the continuum of care. And that's um, we're going to see soon just like that impacting outcomes when it comes to um, things like cancer. And so with this campaign, with um, the Good Down There campaign, we're really focused um, this year and the past year around really advocating for early prevention and screening of cancer, like colorectal cancer, and folks um, just can not dropping off on, on those routine screenings um, because um, it's just so important, even like outside COVID, to be yeah. doing that. Yeah, I think like in a few years, there's going to just be a lot of like research that comes out, like kind of what you were saying before, Khadija, but just going to be like, you know, like in the discussion section, it's going to be like, well, screening rates were so mm-hmm. low, partially due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's going to just be like all these different issues have been affected because of that. Um, And so here's one where we're trying to intervene as best as we can um, by providing these at-home screening Mm -hmm. kits. Um, And it's just, and a lot of like with colorectal cancer and a lot of other um, diseases, it's like, if you catch it early, there's so much you can do. And so it's just, it's, it's really sad that like already black people are just so disproportionately impacted by lack of access to healthcare. So they already like, you know, before COVID um, were less likely to be able to catch these types of things early. But now we've got this added burden of the COVID pandemic Mm -hmm. and people foregoing care. Um, And so, yeah, so like all these things that could have been caught and prevented and treated, um, we're just going to have a major issue with it. So hopefully that, you know, that kind of inspires people to be engaged with our program and to screen for uh, colorectal cancer, because if it's caught early, there's a lot that can be done. 90% survival Mm -hmm. rate. Um, So definitely like stay engaged with us to get a kit. Yeah. And you can, um, you know, go to our website, blackhealth.com 
um, and you'll see the Good Down There program on there. So you can see the organizations that are in your communities um, that have kits and will be working again to, you know, source other organizations that may not be one of our ambassador orgs to get kits as well. And so, yeah, just stay up to date with us. We really uh, think it's important that people get screened um, and we want to continue to build this program. Oh, yeah. And Matthew, did you want to, did you mention the launch event? Yeah. So we uh, had a launch event that you can find on our YouTube or in, um, also on our Instagram. Um, in that launch event, we highlight uh, our ambassador orgs and the incredible work that they're doing. Uh, we also have um, a colorectal cancer 101 sort of presentation from our good friend and advisor, Dr. Fola May. Uh, and I think it was, it's just a really well put, put together uh, video that highlights the work that we've done, uh, the work that we'll continue to do this year. Uh, so be sure to check that out. You can find it on our YouTube. As, uh, again, you can find it on our Instagram. Um, and shout out to uh, the Collective Gallery who helped us put that together. A uh, really solid team. So it's, it's, it's really dope. It's a dope video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked the the partner, the ambassador orgs and Dr. May's segments. Um, they were very, very informative. Very good. And of course, uh, got to plug Adon Bean. Uh, <laughs> Our resident uh, poet. <laughs> Yeah, his his po his poetry at the end was was really 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 good. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and please don't forget to check out our good down there colorectal cancer campaign virtual launch video. As we just mentioned, you can find and find it and watch it on the Black Health Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. Um, and just stay plugged in with us about how you can receive a free at home colorectal cancer screening kits. Um, So you'll need to be plugged into us or one of our ambassador orgs um, in the cities that they are based in. And so you'll need to attend one of their events or reach out to them to get um, one of the kits this year. Um, So just we're planning to do a lot more like in-person events. We're planning to be everywhere all across the country. So just follow us on social media at Black Health on all platforms. And you can see what we're planning for this Good Down There uh, campaign, where we're going to be, where our ambassador orgs will be, so that you can get your hands on one of these awesome, awesome kits um, and screen yourself at home uh, in the comfort of your home for colorectal cancer. Uh, Is there anything else we need to plug, Matthew or Khadija? Give a shout out to uh, Destiny. Destiny did a lot of the creative artwork uh, that you'll find in the kits. Uh, So shout out to Destiny. Mm -hmm. Um, She did a lot of really cool work. Yeah, we've got a lot of like little creative stuff going on that you all will probably like um, in the kits as well. So it's more than just the the screening kit. It has um, a bunch of other things that you all will like. So, yeah. Khadija, was there anything that I was missing? press the plug no I think that's that's good like Matthew said um just stay tapped in with us on social media about upcoming events and places that we'll be at our ambassador programs will be at um to get more information and resources about colorectal cancer yeah I'm really excited to get back to some in-person events this year um, but yeah, okay, great. So yeah, definitely as well for the podcast, um, give us feedback. We want to know what you all think about our new and improved Black Health podcast. So <laughs> subscribe, um, leave comments, and just let us know like what topics you want us to cover in future episodes. 
we would be really open to hearing your feedback and touching on some topics that are important to you all um so yeah with that being said bye (laughs) bye